Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Lyle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Foulball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Atkins, alongside my co-host, Trey Lyle. We've got another exciting week of baseball talk coming at you. We've got a lot of stuff to get into today. It's been a fun week around the baseball world, as it always is. Baseball is always fun. Trey, how are you doing on this beautiful day? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm pumped. Uh, you know, you got an interview lined up that we're about to play, and I'm uh, I'm pumped for you that you uh, you got to do it despite it being about Virginia. But we're uh, you know, I think that will complete almost complete every major uh, team in the Commonwealth. Yeah, we have done a lot of college baseball talk this year. We've done an episode on Virginia Tech done an episode on Liberty. We did an episode on JMU. All of those have been great. You should go check them out, by the way, um, at Foulball Area. We're joined this week by Greg Medea of the Daily Progress in Charlottesville. He covers UVA athletics. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matt. Good good to talk with you. Been been a long time since the RCBL uh, days and, and, and seeing you on the fields over there, but good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. It's been a while. We, uh, we've been going over... Um, baseball teams all across the Commonwealth this season. We actually talked to Kurt Dudley with JMU a couple of weeks ago. So I've kind of been reconnecting to some of the Valley League and RCBL people that I made connections with a while ago. But uh, completely new topic today with you, UVA baseball. You moved over to that beat a while ago. And now we're going to talk about the season so far for the Cavaliers as they get ready for their final home ACC series of the season against Louisville. What has your impression been or the impression of the team overall been in the 2023 season for UVA? You know, it's interesting, Matt. They started so strong, uh, Virginia. They were 24-2 and two at one point, and then they got into the thick of the ACC schedule and things. Uh, I, I wouldn't say they hit a snag, but things have, have slowed down a little bit for the Cavaliers. They've lost some games. They're 38-11 and 11 overall at this point going into the weekend series uh, against Louisville, as you mentioned. And when, when you look at their their, their schedule – uh, they played well early in the ACC, uh, won a series at North Carolina, won a series at NC State, swept Florida State. Turned out Florida State wasn't very good either, uh, but uh, swept Florida State. And then and then they kind of hit a little bit of a lull, uh, dropped the series in Blacksburg at, at Virginia Tech uh, when, when Virginia Tech was struggling a little bit. Uh, they, they lost two of three at home to Pittsburgh. Uh, and then that's that's when things kind of got tough because the following week they went out to Notre Dame and got swept. And they've been they've been trying to find it since, Matt, uh, trying to get back to what worked early in the season when they were getting great starting pitching week in and week out. And they were getting uh, really clutch, timely hitting. And they've still gotten good hitting, right? Their stars are producing Kyle Teal and Jake Geloff. Two probable first round picks, maybe second round pick and Geloff, but two guys who have a chance to go in the first round. Uh, in this summer's MLB draft, uh, those two have really carried them uh, throughout this season. Uh, so it's it's been it's been a mixed bag, and they're trying to get their pitching right. 
uh, as they gear up for the postseason, uh, whether they, they're able to, to lock up a possible host site of a regional or they'll be shipped on the road. Uh, and that's kind of where they're at at this point in the season. These final six games will, will really determine whether or not they get the chance to host a regional. Right, definitely. It's definitely going to be an important end to the season here. Uh, as you mentioned, a couple of tough weekends with the series losses against Pitt, uh, swept by Notre Dame, but they went undefeated in non-conference play this year, and I think they were the only team to do that across all of Division One college baseball. So how have you seen the team kind of handle adversity this season? You know, they come off a, a weekend series loss, and then they come back midweek, and they get a couple of wins. Yeah, they, they've bounced back throughout the year, and that is a, a big positive uh, if you're if you're looking at this whole this season holistically, right? Uh, first time since 2015 uh, that any team has run through uh, the regular season unbeaten against non-conference competition. The last to do it was Texas A&M in 2015, and I think before that, uh, the last team to do it was Arizona in 2010. So it's very very rare that it happens. Now their their non-conference schedule, uh, while it isn't filled with blue bloods and, and other power five programs, it does pose the challenge that they play a lot of in-state teams. They play what's around them because, you know, it's, it's good. It's good for the state probably. Uh, and then the teams in the state to be able to play against UVA uh, and it attracts crowds, whether it's old dominion or Liberty or James Madison uh, coming to Disharoon Park for for a weeknight game, or UVA gets a, a quick bus trip somewhere to play a non-conference game uh, within the Commonwealth. They've done a lot of that this season, and and that's the challenge, right? They're playing against coaches they know, uh, coaches, and talking to Brian O'Connor about it after uh, Wednesday's win against Bradford that that moved them to twenty five and zero and and secured their unbeaten record against non-conference competition. You know, he's like. We know all these coaches. We know all the kids because, you know, you recruit against each other. The, the kids know each other on both sides, right? A lot of UVA kids are from within the state. Yeah, they have some kids from Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, Maryland. But uh, they do get a lot of kids from from within the Commonwealth. And, and they know kids from travel ball or high school ball uh, that play for William & Mary or play for JMU or play, uh, you know, play down the road at Liberty. Uh, and you get those teams' best shot. Uh, Jake Geloff was saying that uh, one of the things that he's learned from from some of the mid-major transfers Virginia has that have played against Virginia in the past is that he completely understands that those mid-major teams get up uh, to play against UVA on the on the weekday. So there's no there's no letting off the gas. Otherwise, you'll get beat because those teams are very capable. I think Old Dominion, Liberty, JMU and, and William and Mary all have RPIs within the top 100 this season. Uh, so that tells you a little bit about, you know, you're not you're maybe not playing the upper upper echelon like if you were to go I don't know pick an SEC team to go play uh, during the middle of the week but you are playing teams good enough to beat you on a given night uh, so I think that speaks to a little bit of their ability to bounce back especially like you go get swept at Notre Dame and then you've got Liberty coming to town you can't no show that game against Liberty otherwise you'll get beat right those aren't always easy games and you know, that's, that's something we've talked about a little bit uh, throughout this season is that a lot of these teams in the Commonwealth, like Virginia Tech, JMU, UVA, they they have games scheduled against other Virginia teams. And I love to see that because I love seeing, you know, even if it's not a, a weekend series, maybe just a midweek game, a little bit of a rivalry between a, an in-state team. 
what has the atmosphere been like at those games? Or especially, I know just recently, JMU came across the mountain for a, a game at UVA. Yeah, and JMU tested Virginia big time. Uh, Virginia was up 8 nothing in that game, uh, ended up winning 9-8, and, and James Madison had stormed all the way back. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't figure out the Dukes. Connolly early, Virginia's midweek starter, who's actually going to pitch on the weekend uh, this week against Louisville. He'll pitch Saturday uh, against the Cardinals. But uh, James Madison couldn't figure early out. But then they got to the Cavaliers' bullpen and exposed uh, what's been a little bit of a weakness for the Hoos uh, this, these last two, three weeks uh, of the season. Uh, so, and it was a really, really good game. I saw a lot of purple in the crowd at the dish. Uh, so obviously Virginia gets a good contingent at these games too. They have a very loyal fan base, the Cavaliers. Uh, so it, I think it's good. And I think, I think too, from the coaching perspective, there's just so much respect between coaches in the Commonwealth for each other. You know, I think Virginia and Virginia Tech understand that they're the two, you know, ACC programs in the state. They're the two teams uh, that 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 kind of hold the flag uh, for this for the Commonwealth of Virginia. And then, uh, you know, you've got really good programs in, in Old Dominion and Liberty that have made it re- made it to regionals and and programs on the rise. I think like like James Madison and, and William and Mary's a very good, uh, you know, mid major program uh, in the past, right? You know, George Mason George Mason's been good at times. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's only good and only positive uh, that, that these games are being played. I want to talk about a couple of players that you've mentioned already, uh, starting with Connolly Early. He's a transfer into Virginia. He was ranked number 32 on D1 Baseball's top 50 impact transfers prior to the season. And all he's done since then is go 9-1 and one with a 283 ERA, 64 strikeouts. I mean, based on the season he's had, do you think he's even higher on that list of the top transfers this year you know when when you think about tournament time and stacking together a resume those midweek games count too he's he's been the fixture in the middle of the week for virginia and you had asked about how virginia's been able to bounce back after some tough acc series he's the reason why right you put Connolly early on the mound and he's most of the time given virginia five six occasionally seven innings in the middle of the week and been really, really good. And a lot of those wins, right, if, if Virginia's looking at trying to get a, a, a national seed and host a regional, you have to have those midweek wins because if you lose a couple of those, all of a sudden the RPI sinks a little bit and and you're, you're not looking as favorably if you have a loss or a blemish, albeit against, uh, you know, a decent in-state team. That may hurt you when it comes to, to to trying to host a regional. I think Connolly Early's impact has has been excellent. He's he's got a very consistent ability to find the strike zone. He, he doesn't walk many hitters. I think only fourteen walks in his fifty four innings. Uh, he's he, he's not an overpowering pitcher, I wouldn't say, uh, but he gets strikeouts because he has a good changeup, good breaking ball, tall left hander. He was the Patriot League pitcher of the year last year, Matt, uh, while he was at Army. Uh, they had a coaching change. He decided to leave and and come back to to Virginia, where he grew up, going to Cavaliers games. You know, he's Richmond area native, uh, and and he's been a really good fit for them. And I think it'll be fascinating to see how he pitches against Louisville uh, this weekend, moving into the weekend rotation for the Cavaliers, because they'll need him to be good if they're going to win this series. The other guy I want to talk about his battery mate Kyle Teal, who you said potential first round draft pick he's currently the number 15 draft prospect according to MLB he's batting 416 this season nine home runs how much fun has it been to get to watch him on this team this year 
Yeah, he's excellent. He starts every day behind the plate. He's up to 107 consecutive starts at catcher for the Cavaliers, which is incredible, right? I mean, to be hitting like he's hitting, uh, leading the ACC and hitting. And Matt, I, I wrote about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. Uh, in the last 30 years, only five catchers in the, have, have topped the ACC in batting average, have won the ACC batting crown. They've all been first-round picks. Uh, Joey Bart most recently, Buster Posey, Yasmani Grandal, uh, and Jason Veritek. I think Kyle Tilby would be the fifth to do it. So four, uh, only four times in the last 30 years it's happened. And Kyle Teal has a chance to join that group and become number five. Uh, so it kind of tells you where he's at in, in terms of prestige. All, all, all in a group of of, potent, of, of first-round picks, he's, he's another potential one. And in talking to... Uh, last week, I talked to Jim Callis at MLB Pipeline, who does the rankings and uh, he has analyzed draft prospects for for years on years, I think three decades in the business. What he was telling me was he's the best college catcher in this year's draft. Uh, so it, it doesn't seem like there's any doubt that he'll go in the first round. Uh, he's athletic. He probably could play anywhere on the field, but uh, he's definitely a catcher. And because the catch, the draft uh, from from what Jim Callis was telling me, because the draft is a little thin at catcher this year, uh, he should really benefit from that. Could probably go in as early as you know, you know, in that eight to fifteen range, from what it sounds like. Uh, so I, I think you know it's it's and it has been fun to watch Teal play. He made an outstanding defensive play on Wednesday against Radford, uh, dropped third strike that that skidded away from him toward the toward the first base dugout. Uh, ran up to get it and pitched it like an option quarterback to first base to get the runner on strike throw on a drop third strike. Just an outstanding athletic play that that not many catchers would make. I actually just saw that video a few minutes ago, and that was a really nice play behind the plate for him. Um, all right, so we got this series against Louisville coming up this weekend at home for Virginia. I saw an article that you put out yesterday about the pitching staff, some changes going on. Their usual Sunday starter, Jack O'Connor, moving into a little bit of a new role and maybe some other changes in the pitching staff. What's going on with the with the, the pitching uh, you know, mindset going into the series? Yeah, to me, it feels like Brian O'Connor is is trying to make sure they get this, this regional uh, bid to be at home. Uh, he's lining up his pitching to better his bullpen because it, it's really been shaky past couple of weeks, the bullpen, you either get a really good performance or you get something like they had against James Madison, where they nearly let the Dukes uh, come back and win the game after being down eight, nothing. Uh, but what they're going to do uh, to start, they move Nick Parker, their Saturday starter into the Friday role. Their Friday guy, Brian Edgington is not listed uh, as a starter for, for this weekend. Their, their Sunday uh, is open at this point. They have it as a TBA listing. Uh, and Connolly Early, uh, the, the the left-hander we talked about, he'll pitch Sunday. Uh, I think what they're trying to do with Jack O'Connor, who's their usual Sunday guy, is maybe bring him out of the pen. He pitched three innings on Wednesday, 34 pitches, uh, struck out five of the eight hitters he faced. Uh, I think they're trying to maybe use him in relief uh, going, you know, at, at least this weekend uh, to see if he could come back and, and be a dominant force. Because I think his fastball... Uh, was moving a little better, uh, a little harder velocity-wise, uh, not having to go a little deeper in the game. He even mentioned that he could let it fly a little bit more coming out of the bullpen without having to worry about uh, going deeper into the game. Uh, Brian Edgington had been really good early in the year uh, for them, their their Friday starter. He started 6-0. and I think he's 6-3 and since. 
uh, has been beat up a little bit by ACC competition. Maybe if you don't have to uh, extend him later in the game, he can refine that form. Uh, so I think he could be a bullpen option for them. And the wild card in this, I think, is, is Jake Berry, uh, the left-hander, tall lefty, 6'10". Uh, he started for them in the second half of last year, pitched well in the Greenville Regional, I think for four or five innings, and then got a little later in the game, and they ended up losing the game that knocked them out of the Regional to Coastal Carolina in a game he pitched. Uh, but to me, he he's he he's probably the wild card in this because I could see him being used for for some – I don't know, three, four innings in a starting role and then making it kind of a bullpen game. But all they're doing is trying to shore up their bullpen and 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 maybe limit the amount of chances some of those guys in the bullpen gets. So it's a, a pretty big series, as you mentioned. You know, they're trying to secure a potential regional host. Uh, Louisville's not really the team that they have been in, you know, past years. They're not as good as they, they have been recently, but still, as we've said, a very important series for Virginia. What are you expecting this weekend? Yeah, I'd, I'd expect them. They're going to be ready to play. They they know what's at stake. Uh, you know, they, they talking to Jake Gelov, he was like, yeah, I don't really look at everything, but I'd assume we'd have work to do uh, if they want to host a regional. Now, it's not the worst thing if, if you end up, I don't know, I don't know, three and three in these last six or uh, that's probably about as worst as you could do to still have a shot at hosting. I think you probably got to win the last two to do it. Uh, and then if you don't, then you got to play well in the ACC tournament. And Virginia did not play well in the ACC tournament in 2022. Uh, that's a tough That's a tough thing to do. It's a tough tournament to get through. Uh, so uh, I, it's going to be it's going to be very fascinating to me to see what happens, especially this weekend, because Louisville needs this series. Louisville's trying to stay within contention to get in the 64 team field in any in any way possible. Uh, there's a proud program that's done it, you know, uh, time and time again. And while they have some some good wins uh, this season, right? They've beaten Kentucky uh, earlier in the year. They beat Texas A&M and TCU. Uh, they they have a sweep of Boston College, which has been a surprise team, a really good team this year. Uh, but to me, you know, what they've done recently, they've dropped four straight. Uh, games and four, I think four straight ACC series as well. They really need to win this series this weekend if they're going to get back in a conversation of being a potential team in the field. Uh, so they're going to play desperate. It sounds like Virginia's going to play a little desperate. Uh, so that that should make for some good entertainment. All right. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. I appreciate your insights and I, I hope you have a good time, a really entertaining series coming up this weekend at the ballpark. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate you taking time to talk to me and it's good to be on the show. That was Greg Medea on UVA baseball. Thank you so much to him for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, we're looking forward to that series against Louisville and then uh, looking forward to the ACC tournament coming up here in just a couple of weeks as the college baseball regular season begins to wind down. It's definitely been an interesting season, not really what we had hoped from Virginia Tech, as you and I obviously are both Virginia Tech fans. Um, not really repeating the success they had last year. Uh, I, I've even seen some latest predict predictions of the, the NCAA field of 64 have left Virginia Tech out. Granted, they're like the first four out, so they're still in contention, but they got to do something here at the end of the season if they want to make it to the to the NCAA tournament again. Yeah, um, it, it appears the the pitching, which was a concern, continues to be a concern and the offensive consistency is is a concern. I would say those are, you know, uh, you know, 
a lot of great talent kind of left the roster last year, including a top 10 pick. So you lose a Gavin Cross, you know, you, you look at it. I think um, this is, this could possibly, and I, you could argue the same thing for softball, be kind of a step back to take two steps forward kind of issue, which um, given the trajectory of this program, I, I would be like, am I disappointed in this season? Yes. But in the bigger picture things, they're on, they're still on the right track. You kind of have to expect kind of, I don't say I come to them, the mean kind of season, but definitely a regression off of the best season in program history. So it's, it's, it's like, it's, there's a balance of trying to manage your expectations throughout the year. And I think if they make the NCAA regional, which should probably be the goal of the team every year, you feel good about it. Definitely. Uh, So they've got a tough series coming up this weekend at home though, in Blacksburg against number 16, Clemson, then they have JMU on the road next Tuesday and a uh, couple and then Wake Forest to close out the regular season next weekend on the road. So tough couple of series to end the season for Virginia Tech. But that's what we're looking at in college baseball this week. Switching gears to Major League Baseball, a um, lot of injuries right now, Trey. And there's been a lot of speculation about what's causing these injuries. But, you know, for the Braves, it's tough. We got their ace, Max Freed, is going to be out for two months with forearm tightness. Kyle Wright is also going to be out for two months. You got other guys that are injured, like Jacob deGrom, who says he's going to be out for two to three weeks. You got Max Scherzer, who's day-to-day, but he's still injured. So many pitchers are exiting games with injuries. They're missing games with injuries. And a lot of people think it's because of the pitch clock. And I don't know that I buy into that. But it, I mean, it's it's a definitely a theory that is, you know, I could see it happening. I don't know if I'm 100%. That's what's causing these. But you hate to see this many big name pitchers go down with injuries this early in the season, and especially this significant of injuries. You know, guys miss one or two games all the time, but to be missing three weeks, two months, that's really tough to see. It's probably a little of that, a little of, you know, just <laughs> attrition of a 162 game season, and you're in the start of it. So. Um, I think we had this discussion. I feel like we have this discussion at this point every year. Like, oh, there's a lot of injuries. It's just baseball. It's just sports in general. I mean, you go to the NBA, like the biggest storyline coming out of last night's game is Anthony Davis getting hurt because of a freak elbow. Like, you know, he appears to be okay. Um, I, I think this could be a bigger issue if these injuries sustain throughout the season, like come September, you know, come August, those, you know, two months gearing up to the postseason. If if we see a lot of big names still out because of let's say they come back and then get hurt again, then I think there's a bigger picture issue to worry about. But this is just sports. They'll get hurt. That's what happens. I do feel like we've had this discussion the past couple of seasons. Like 2020, it was like, you know, they had spring training, then they got shut down because of COVID, then they restarted spring training and had the regular season in July. And we had a lot of injuries. And it was like, oh, well, you know, they were ready at spring training, then they got shut down, then they started again. So that causes injuries. And then 2021, it was like, oh, well, you know, it's their their first full season back since COVID. So yeah, there's going to be injuries. So we have had this this same discussion every year. You're right. You're exactly right. Uh, but this year, you know, there's something new to blame. So that's what people are putting the pitch clock uh on you know they're blaming the pitch clock for these injuries um i think it's definitely a viable theory you know 
pitchers are working faster than they've had to in recent years. I think they should be working that quickly anyway. There's no reason they need to take, you know, 15 or 30, 45 seconds in between the at-bats. Obviously, it's pitchers and batters to blame for that. But, uh, you know, the pitch clock is doing what it's intended to do. I don't think that it's completely at fault for all of these injuries, but it is really tough to see. And as a Braves fan, you know, I hate seeing Freed and Wright go down for that long because Freed is the ace. Wright was a 20 game winner last year. I mean, these are really, really good pitchers uh, and they're definitely going to miss them in the rotation. We do have Spencer Strider still and Charlie Morton, obviously Bryce Elder has been solid on the rotation this year, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they deal with the loss of those two pitchers for that long. I mean, through the first month of the season, we've had a lot of injuries. Guys like, you know, Freed, Freed missed a couple of games already. He's been injured. Uh, Michael Harris was injured for a little bit. Travis Darno has been injured. Orlando Arcia has been injured. So th- they've had to deal with a lot of guys on the injured list. So it's nothing new for them this season, but it is going to be interesting to see how they can deal with two of their best pitchers on the injured list for that long. Then you look at guys like Jacob deGrom, and, you know, he's someone that we've talked about so many times as, arguably the best pitcher in the league he just can't stay healthy and now that that's following him to texas and i really hate to see that because he really could be the best pitcher in the league if he was healthy yeah yeah i mean Degrom's injury and reason why you know i didn't pick him for cy young because i didn't trust him to stay healthy there's been a story all throughout his mets career and it's been a story now as a ranger like this is this is nothing new like Nothing new. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Jacob DeGrom gets hurt. Uh, so, I mean, Texas is playing well, despite the fact that if they can get him back and he can string, you know, I think a good, actually, I just thought of this, and I mentioned his name. A really good comparison for Jacob DeGrom is Anthony Davis. They're talented as all get out, and if they're on the floor or on the on the field, they're one of the best in baseball. But the big if is if they stay healthy. Um, so, I think... Anthony Davis and Jacob DeGrom should be best friends because the way they, they handled it. I mean, look at these playoffs. AD has been healthy, and he's been dominant. And you look at when DeGrom's on the mound, he is probably the best pitcher in baseball. So if you're Texas, you you look at where you are right now, you have to feel really good at where you are because Corey Seager is appearing to be coming back. And if they can get healthier than they are and maintain you know some semblance of being in the playoff picture, you know, let's say they have DeGrom in the postseason, well, that could get you two games, and then you just got to win two more, theoretically, in an ALCS scenario, or yeah. one more in the first round. Like, it's very doable. Yeah. Uh, speaking of DeGrom, I saw an interesting stat today. MLB posted this on Instagram. Since since 1920, the live ball era, the lowest career ERAs, Jacob DeGrom is third with a 253 ERA. You know who's number one with the lowest career ERA since 1920? Max Fried. No. I don't know if it's it's a minimum of 1,300 innings pitched. I don't know if he's even reached 1,300 innings so far. Is it a current pitcher? Or it, is, it is a current pitcher. He's in the same category as uh, as Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, Clayton Kershaw, career ERA of 2.48. That's the lowest in the live ball era. That was my first guess, but I was like, he's trying to stump me with the Braves guy, so I'm just going to go. 
No, Clayton Kershaw. I've always liked him. He's, they he's also you didn't say the innings thing until after my first guest. So true. you're trying to true. cheat. You're yeah. trying to cheat me. Uh, but yeah, that just shows, you know, he's been a dominant pitcher for a long time and one of the greatest of all time, like first ballot Hall of Famer when he retires. He's the great, like, he's the greatest, at least the greatest regular season pitcher, maybe of all time, but at least of this past, since what, 2000? Yeah. Like, it's him. Randy Johnson on the back end, I guess. Uh, Clements, um, Verlander, Scherzer. Like, that's kind of it, right? Yeah, if you were looking just at the 2000s, I would say Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer. Uh, I, I guess jo- Randy Johnson had some good years in the 2000s because he, he pitched for a long time. Clements. Yeah. Pedro um, Martinez, he he had Pedro, like yeah, Pedro. he pitched till like two thousand eight, I think. Um, Roy Holiday. Yeah, yeah, he's up there. So. Yeah, uh, I just didn't realize Clayton Kershaw was uh, that that low of a career RAA, but that is that is pretty cool. Can I say, look at you dressing up for this occasion, rocking the. Oh wind. yes, I definitely put this polo on just for you. So. I mean, should we talk about uh my uh actually uh I saw the um Fox Sports did a poll and I I'm wearing a Captain America shirt, so let's talk about the Captain of America, Mike Trout. He was fifth in the MVP vote or poll and Shoei was first. So uh let's look at the standings right now. And look, the Angels are in second, and I think they're not in the wild card yet, but they're near the wild card. Yeah, they are they are a game and a half out of the wild card. So the Angels giving some support to Shohei Mike Trout. So just we need to keep track of that because we make fun of that team a lot. And so credit to them because depending on how they do, could reshape the trade deadline for it could be the biggest trade deadline ever. I know we're yeah. going a little off topic here, but I thought of my shirt when I thought of that. So it makes sense. Captain America, Mike Trout. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like seeing the Angels you know, have a little bit of success early in the season, but it, you know, we saw the same thing last year and they imploded about mid to late May. So uh, we'll just have to see if they can keep it going. Like you said, they're a game and a half out of the wild card right now. The wild card in the American league is just insane. Cause you got what three all four AL teams are the top, the top four teams are all four, all four AL East teams. I'm pretty sure so the Yankees are in last place at 21 and 17 in the AL East, they would be tied for first in the central. They, <laughs> I, it's weird. Cause they're 21 and they're, I guess th- three games out of the loss column, but they only, they have one less win than the Rangers. So I don't know exactly how that math would work. That's a, but essentially anyone in the AL East could be leading the central or second in the West. Yeah, the the Yankees are still a good team, even though they're in last place. It's just the AL East is insane so far this year. I mean, Tampa's twenty nine and nine, Baltimore's twenty four and thirteen, Boston is twenty two and sixteen, and then twenty one sixteen for Toronto, as I mentioned, twenty one seventeen. But let's talk about the worst teams, and uh, I I brought this up to you, and this is like, this is starting to become a thing. The St. Louis Cardinals, 
are six are uh, thirteen and twenty five on the year. The only team with a worst record are two. Do you want to name the two teams? The only teams worse than the Cardinals? Yes, they're both American League teams. Oh, they're both American League teams. Okay, yeah. they're the worst team in the National. League. All right, the Oakland A's. Yes. The Kansas City Royals. Correct. They have the same record, and and they have one less loss than the White Sox. They're thirteen <laughs> and twenty six for the White Sox. The thirteen and twenty five the Cardinals. And obviously, they played Chicago this past week, and it was obviously the return of Wilson Contreras, who was the catcher for when they won the World Series and a part of that team. And Wilson Contreras got a big contract to replace Yadier Molina. And all of a sudden, after going from Yadier Molina, who's maybe the best catcher of his generation, none of the Cardinals pitchers want Contreras to to pitch. So he might be playing the outfield. It might be their DH, but they pay him this big contract. Uh, and now he's not going to be their catcher. Like that's weird, right? Yeah, that is a weird situation. I mean, they paid him a lot of money to bring they're him the, in and be the replacement for Yadier Molina. They're the most disappointing team in baseball. They had oh, two of the by top far. MVP candidates last year. Yeah, they're yeah, thirteen is... twenty-five. I mean, Goldschmidt's hitting three hundred. Yeah, like, it's it's really weird to see how pitch. bad they're doing. It's been their their pitching. Their their team ERA is four point six four. They have a one point four nine WHIP. They are they have only seven quality starts, and they have a point two seven four batting average. Um, that's all in the bottom half of the league. Everything outside of the ERA is in the bottom three of the league. Like, here's the thing: I always like to take everything with a grain of salt until Memorial Day. You know, that's, once you get past Memorial Day, once you get into June, you've had two months. You can that's when you can really see if a team is gonna be good or if they're gonna be bad. But so, the alert the the sirens are starting to blast. They are. A hundred percent. It's a red it's a DEFCON like uh what's the highest? One? DEFCON one, I think yeah. it's probably a DEFCON one. Like yeah. it's it with the Contreras news. You get a sense of this could be a very this could get bad real fast from a locker room point of view, which is something from the St. Louis Cardinals I would never expect. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird, it's a really weird situation. Like you bring him in to be the replacement for your Hall of Fame catcher, and a month and a half into the season, you take him away from that position. It's it's just a really strange situation with with Contreras. So MLB is really getting into these international series now. We got the London series coming up later this year. We had, had a uh, Mexico City series last where, year. Where the elevation, that was like Coors Park on drugs. Yeah, that was crazy. I didn't even realize I forgot. I, I completely forgot about that, like, until after the fact, when they start, like, I saw the highlights of the first game, and I was like, eight home runs in one game, I was like, oh, yeah, the elevation is insane there, they're just gonna, <laughs> the over-under for the second game was 11 and a half, like, it was the highest ever recorded for, like, in the last 10 years for a baseball game, it yeah, was 
it's crazy high up there and a lot of a lot of runs scored in that game. We got the London series coming up later this year, the Cardinals and the Cubs. That's coming up in June. And MLB has announced next year the London series will be the Mets and the Phillies. And there may be another international series next year if everything goes according to plan. Yeah. Um they're gonna have a series in South Korea, which is interesting between the Padres and the Dodgers. Um which the backup plan, if they can't get it done, is Japan, which makes it even more interesting given the uh, – uh, let's just start to connect some dots here, uh, Matt. Who Who is uh, – which uh, the Padres do have a South Korean player already on their team. Um, blanking on the name right now. Ha-Sung Kim. Ha-Sung Kim. But there's a uh, potential free agent this summer um, that is uh, – uh, you know, pretty big in Japan, would you say, Matt? Yeah, I'd say he's pretty big in Probably Japan. Pretty big in that area. Yeah, a little is, bit. Is is uh is there like a smoke signal that Shohei Otani staying in California? Could be those two teams. I mean, you Could see the way favorites? you've seen the way the Padres have gone after free agents the past couple of off seasons. I would fully expect them to make a big run at Shohei Otani this off season. I mean, I think the favorite to land him is the Dodgers. That's what my gut's telling me. Because I think he wants to stay in L.A. He likes L.A. Just wants to be somewhere he can win. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. you know, the, uh, to get ten full Hattie here, <laughs> the NHL just had a lottery where the best prospects since maybe like Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid at least, uh, was coming through, uh, some Canadian kid, I don't know. And I was watching it because I'm watching the hockey playoffs. And the last three teams are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and the Anaheim Ducks. Did you Do you know who got the number one pick in the NHL? Yeah, I know who ended up with it. Okay, it was the Chicago Blackhawks. And I was sitting there, I was like, hmm, that makes some sense. You think like, it was I'm really big? interested in the ML NBA. Like, I don't think it was, but like, sort of how like the theory about Patrick Ewing ending up on the Knicks and it was like a cold card. Like, Victor Wimbyama is about to, uh, to, and I'll get to my point. Victor Wimbyama is like the best prospect maybe ever. Is about to go through the NBA lottery and like, he could go to San Antonio or, which I think would be okay for him. But like, my gut is telling me like, there is no way the NBA would let him go to Charlotte. <laughs> like, there's no way. <laughs> but uh, back to baseball, like, is baseball going to do its best, like, learning from the Mike Trout situation and be like, let's just push Shohei to a bigger team. And and maybe this is one way to do it. Be like, hey, Shohei, you can play, you know, at home for one game. Like, come on, go to this. Like, we know you want to stay in L.A. Ain't yeah, no- Maybe. That's tinfoil hat moment. There you go. Conspiracy theories with Trey. But okay, I I will pose this question because we can keep asking it. Shohei Otani is playing for what team in twenty twenty four? You think the Yankees are out? You don't think they're going to go after him? See, here's the thing: they went after him the first time, and he said no. Yeah. I don't think off the top of my head, I don't think the Dodgers did. Probably did. You know, the Dodgers seem to have a lot of luck 
uh, getting the players that they want. My but so do the Padres. The Padres, I mean, they missed out on Aaron Judge. Shohei looks like a guy of comfort. Like he likes certain, like he likes, you know, I think he likes being in LA. I think he likes, like he literally likes everything about what, what he has right now. Yeah. He just doesn't win. And he basically gets that with the Dodgers. I could see, I could see him just, you know, going across town. Because I also think he wants to be on the West. Like, realistically, I think he wants to be on the West Coast because if he ever wants, like, it's easier for him to get to Japan. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it'd be awesome for him to be on the Yankees. And I will, like, that might be our greatest podcast ever. (laughs) Of just Choyatani's, like, a, a, a New York Yankee. But my gut, at the end of the day, is like, he will be a Dodger. I'd say it's the most likely scenario. Like, I think he stays in L.A., and I think he goes to the Dodgers. I'm not saying I would be shocked if he doesn't go to the Angels. But, because it was interesting that the owner of the Angels, like, was going to sell the team and then decided not to. Like, is that something that we need to read into? Like, who knows? Who knows? But conspiracy theory is the A-cell moved to Vegas and that and they used Shohei Atani as the prize. How about that? There you go. As always, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. Give us your thoughts on the season so far. What do you think about the injuries at Matkins? news at Trey Lyle VT at foul ball area. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the foul ball area podcast. Thanks for listening to the foul ball area podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. So you get new episodes as soon as they come out.